Welcome to the Tossing Clubs Podcast. Next on the tee, your hosts, Frank Jang, Zach Moses, and Aaron Tan. Yo, welcome to Tosh. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I haven't drifted on that in a while. Yo, welcome to Tossing Clubs. This is Frank, joined by Zach and Aaron, and we're recording this on Halloween. So, first question to you guys is you know, this is a great holiday, one of my favorite holidays of the year, actually. Love the costumes, love the different types of parties. Well, I got to ask, what's your favorite Halloween candy? So let's start off with you, Zach, because I don't think you're much of a sweets guy. I actually like sweets quite a bit. And I answered this question today. Uh, Sour Patch Watermelon. Whoa, me too, dude. What? what? Yeah, I always get what? those at movie theaters. Always, always, always. You could ask anyone, man. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. There, I, I, I brought it up at work, and three out of maybe eight people on my team had never even heard of Sour Patch Watermelon. I was like, what the hell? Is this like a California thing? I didn't, or, I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's throughout the, the U.S. Wow. But, okay, shout out water, uh, Sour Patch Watermelon. Yeah, absolutely superior. I, I don't know if that those count as Halloween candy, right? Because I think of like candy corn, Snickers, uh, M&M's. Yeah, do you ever go trick-or-treating and get Sour Patch Watermelons? I mean, it's been a while since I've gone trick-or-treating, but yeah, I feel like it's not <laughs> common for sure. It's not in those like big bags of like, you know, M&Ms and Reese's and the ones that you yeah. buy, you know, Safeway. You just get, you get like a big bag of like, a, like 50 watermelon yeah. slices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those are my favorite candies overall, but favorite Halloween candy, I think it's either, okay, I'll stick with one and it's probably the Kit Kat. Especially when they're bite size, mm. it's like the perfect mixture of crispy waferness with sweet chocolate. It's not too sweet for me. The way they break off is so satisfying. Everything about it is just great. It also has the least amount of sugar relative to all the other common like chocolate mm. uh, Halloween candies. It, that was a question on this morning's New York Times trivia thing. <laughs> oh, wow. wow it's just that plain wafer i guess yeah exactly yeah how about you aaron you uh host a holiday party mm. i don't know if you got any trick-or-treaters but what are you giving out we uh tonight we got we put a bowl of candy out and it's it's about half full so we got a few trick-or-treaters and we live in an apartment complex so it's not the same experience i guess but um my growing up my favorite candy was always Reese's but recently like the last couple of years I've been reaching for the Twix every time I'm like becoming a big Twix guy so that's and like we we had like a whole Costco pack of Halloween candy and I I've eaten like five Twix already oh the caramel goodness inside is unbeat undefeated man I think when I was a kid uh, my flavor profile was definitely the caramel with the chocolate with the, is it a nougat or is it a wafer? Dude, I don't even know. <laughs> but that thing is so good. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm new to the Twix game, but yeah, that it's that like crunchy texture that it just adds. But when we, I'll move to 
you know, our own respective houses, hopefully one day. Are you going to be the house that just leaves candy out? Because Aaron, when you said that, I was sort of surprised. You're not the guy that, you know, passes out the candy to the kids. What's up with that? I mean, well, tonight I had to work late. So like, and I, like trick or treating happens like daytime. So, you know, it, by like, I don't know, 7 PM, 8 PM, it's probably already over. Um, but dude, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like if I'm in the mood, I would be down, but also like it's, it's probably landing on a weekday. I probably just want to like keep my routine and maybe I'm like eating dinner and not might just leave candy out i mean that was really convenient zach i feel like you're a guy who who's just like here take it don't talk to me you know i'd probably be the guy who keeps all their lights off and doesn't give out any candy (laughs) but i married abby who is the exact opposite and we've had this conversation and she is so stoked for giving out candy to kids when we have a house so i think uh i'll probably just be in the background you know um Drinking a beer in the living room while uh, Abby's out there chatting <laughs> with all the people. Oh, man. Well, Halloween again, one of my favorite holidays. This year, we didn't really dress up, but there, I, I feel like people are dressing up more and more. Uh, all my friends on Instagram, actually, and their costumes are getting better and better. Um, but I digress. Let's get to the topic, which is a recap of our tournament, which I thought was a huge success. Uh, we had 44 participants, only 43 showed up. Do you guys know what happened to the guy that didn't show up? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I texted him and said, hey, like, that, no problem, you're not coming, we'll make it work, hope everything's okay, and he never responded, so... <laughs> tbd on that you know it's always funny we have 44 people sign up and to make this thing work you expect everyone to come and they're heavily incentivized to come because there is that 150 dollar buy-in but this isn't the first year when someone just doesn't show up right i think it's more common than you might think for tournaments i remember playing in and i always use this as an example i keep talking about the barstool classic but that was kind of like the first bigger scramble i played in earlier this year and there were maybe 50 teams and like six of them didn't show up like full teams. And that was a $500 buy-in. So I think people are just like things come up or, you know, you book it so far in advance and, or people just forget. But I feel like for our tournament, and I don't know if we want to change it, but it's always like the singles, right? It's never the teams. So we could incentivize people even more to show up if they have to pick their own partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just starting off the day then, it was an early morning and uh, just setting up took a little bit longer than anticipated uh, because when we got to Karika, I talked about, hey, you know, the closer to the pinholes and the long drive holes, they're like four, six and 16, right? And he's like, wait, what? So you have two closer to the pin? And I said, yes, we talked about this. And he said, oh, okay. So let me call. They're setting up right now. Let me call them. And so it's just, you think you've communicated everything. And for some reason, it just doesn't go as smoothly as you think it would for some reason, right? Um, But overall, I thought, you know, they were very, Karika was a very hospitable um, club. Like, they were very hospitable. 
It was interesting because I was there when that happened, and I was just thinking, like, wow, they just, like, don't give a crap about us. Like, they're just not, they're just like, okay, like, play your tournament and whatever. But, because also you were like, oh, like, what about the range balls? And they were like, oh, all the tickets we have expired. So <laughs> just talk to them and say you're with tossing clubs. We were like, wow. But it turned out, like, there were like two other tournaments that day right so thinking back like it kind of made sense i guess maybe that they were getting confused because you know there were different closest to the pinholes different long drive holes for every tournament and everything so it's like maybe hard for them to keep track yeah yeah so definitely gotta give them the benefit of the doubt uh we had someone ask if their so's could ride along uh and Unlike some other courses, they actually said, oh, if you just borrow one cart, it's fine. So, again, really appreciate their uh, hospitality. Uh, but, yeah, what about the morning for you guys? I mean, you guys woke up pretty early as well. Aaron, you brought a lot of the beverages. I'm sure that was a lot to get into your vehicle and transport over. Zach, you came, had the stamps. <laughs> you brought some stuff, too. I just came remember it right now please remind me i mean my job mainly in the morning was uh getting all the giveaway bags set up with abby and then working at the registration table um so i was just hanging out there for like the first hour because i didn't tee off until 10 40 which was the last tee time so i had quite a bit of downtime but it was nice you know talking to the nara crew putting the gift bags together just talking to all the golfers i hadn't met before and signing people in and everyone was like super stoked when they got to the table and like signed in and they saw all the giveaways they're like oh shoot we get hats this year we get beer we get nar like they all loved it and i think i think it was a yeah awesome decision uh to have all these different giveaways this year nice nice i like that my my experience in the morning was kind of the opposite of like i brought all the stuff i was like getting ready like set up and then i was like okay I got there an hour early and I'm like, well, now I only have like 40 minutes to warm up. So I'm going to hit the range and then I hit the range and then like people just start coming and everyone wants to say hi to me. Everyone wants to talk. So I'm like talking to people on the range, but like also trying to warm up. And then I was like, oh, crap. And my partner, Tim, showed up like five minutes before we teed off. And so I at some point I gave him the rest of my balls. I wander over to the putting green. I'm talking to more people. And then like Logan, who was in my group, we he was paired with someone that none of us had met before, and um, he he didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. And then we're looking for him. And then the starter is like, "Okay, who's at nine o'clock? Like, you're up. You need to get over there right now." And I'm like, "Well, shit, it's only me. <laughs> like, I know there's three other people around somewhere that I'm playing with, but like, they're not here. So I'm just gonna go up to the first tee. So I go up there, and I'm like." texting people and whatever i got probably like one practice put in and uh everyone shows up and we tee off like five to ten minutes late and so then the starter is just like on us he told the group behind us to just hit into us he was just like oh my god this this is a tournament you guys are the first ones and you're teeing off 10 minutes late like this is (laughs) he was like telling us this he was like you guys need to go really fast so we're like okay sorry so i promptly hit my first tee shot ob um and then yeah that was the start kind of stressful oh that is a very rough sounding start but 
But Aaron, as you ease your way through the course, you wanted to talk about how you and your partner played and talk about because I mean you you shot you shot quite the score. So just tell me about like when you thought, wow, I went from OB to getting this birdie. Well, my yeah, my luckily it's a scramble, two man scramble. So I'm allowed to hit lose my balls and whatever and you know he just had to keep his in play which he did he hit it into a fairway bunker so not the best but it's a par five so it's fine we got out and then we i think got up and down for par um and we just we we're like okay you know that was like a super rough start we parred the first hole and we are just like that's a win let's keep going so then we like parred the second hole i think but then we started to like get in a groove. The third hole was the shotgun hole. So then we're st- I'm starting to feel like, okay, like this is sick. Like we're out here, you know, it started to warm up a little bit. Everyone was getting like, you know, we're meeting the two guys that we're playing with just good vibes all around. And, you know, we just started playing really well. We started, we made a birdie, we made an Eagle and then we just kept making birdies and it ended up being a great day for us that's insane um i would guess that not too many people made eagles but the group in front of us made a whole out eagle actually from 80 yards which was really cool to see because uh yeah i mean it was adam and jeff that group and they were just like everyone could hear it it was so obnoxious but you know good for them you made an 80 yard hole out so yeah you get to be obnoxious that's sick um just running like all over the green and all that uh, <laughs> but zach how about you man when you teed off you're the last group of the day so you were probably just itching to get out there you know how did your partner do with this first tee shot uh evan hit the fairway which was great um it allowed me to take a really aggressive line with my driver and i did the same thing as aaron i put it in the lake over there uh so <laughs> we, we, we took Evan's first shot of the day and then made a par and we were off. But I mean, yeah, overall it was, it was awesome. Like I had a ton of fun, like a ton of type one fun on the golf course. It wasn't only type nice. two. Um, I felt like we were playing pretty well during the day and felt like we were in it and competitive. And, uh, it was, it was a fun group. It, we were kind of a weird group because we are the other pairing in our group was the one where the, the guy didn't show up. So we just had Sam who was playing basically two shots for every shot, um, which actually helped him out quite a bit because he ended up winning both the closest to the pin and the long drive contest on the day with his second ball. So if it wasn't for that, like, I mean, he probably would not have, I mean, he wouldn't have won those two different competitions. So, uh, yeah, it was a fun group, uh, just the three of us. Mm, I teed off. Uh, after my partner, my partner, Sammy, he, uh, doesn't really hit driver. He never had a driver lesson. He learned how I hit it after one night at Mariner's point and it was in play and I hit mine and it was in play, but more to the left of him. So we actually took his first drive. And after that, we never took a drive from him again. However, I will say my partner did come up clutch with some putts. So throughout the day, you know, he didn't really hit too many. I, I, he, he might have hit, like, two approach shots. I, Sam, if you're listening to this, please correct me if I'm wrong. But all I remember were two approach shots. But he did hit some clutch putts for par. So uh, I'll give that to him. Uh, but overall, I had a lot of fun, too. It was one of those days where 
on the front nine, I felt like we played pretty well. But then we had like this intersection with Zach and Evan and Sam. Like we met up with that group. And I remember telling them, oh man, yeah, we, we're two over par after seven or eight or something like that, which, you know, we have 12 strokes. So I thought we were in it. But after that, we began to implode actually. So we started getting bogeys. Uh, I think a double quickly followed after that. So um, after that, <laughs> my partner, Sammy, he was out of it too. He actually turned on the F1 race during the middle of the round and started playing it from the car. At that point, I'm just like, <laughs> all right, let's just finish this. It's, I'm having a good time. Uh, but overall, it was a great day. Nice. That's funny. I feel like that's three totally different experiences. <laughs> yeah. So what do you guys think went uh, well throughout the day, just based off of feedback? And what do you think could be improved upon, Aaron? I mean, I really like the fact that we successfully got all the, like, you know, sponsorships, partnerships and everything. And we were able to, you know, one of the things that I had brought up that I like about other tournaments is when they when they have like kind of giveaways for everyone. You know, it's not just like all about the prize. It's not all about winning. And it kind of makes the tournament memorable for everyone. And we I feel like we did that. We we put a lot of effort into the giveaways that everyone would get. And um, I mean, I wasn't there for any of the registration process, but hearing what you said, Zach, like it's cool that people enjoyed that and and people liked getting all the stuff, like our, you know, tossing clubs hats and, and everything. And like, I don't know, that's kind of what it was all about. Just like making sure everyone had a good time. One of the funniest parts about registration was when people saw the beers that Calicraft provided and shout out Calicraft, awesome beers and seltzers. Um, but everyone kind of knew that there was a shotgun on hole three. And then they saw that the giveaway was an IPA and they're like, what the hell are these guys trying to do to us? Like, why are we shotgunning an IPA on hole three? Which, uh, I have to admit, I only got through half of it and then drank the rest like a regular beer, but that was, that was difficult. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but good good beer very tasty oh I the beer enjoyed. the beer was delicious the beer was delicious the seltzer was really good i chugged the seltzer but it was delicious yeah i shotgunned the seltzer so i could sip the beer and yeah the the beer was delicious but the shotgun that hole i think it really turned on the switch in terms of the fun the type one fun for me it was like oh man you see you know, my partner, Tom, or not my partner, but the person in my group, Tom, struggling and spilling beer all over himself. And it's, you know, me and Sammy, and we're just trying to down it and we're burping and I'm the last one. And uh, yeah, I, I think that part of our tradition is something we should keep forever, right? That's definitely a trademark of one of our term of our tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, I think. But, that, Zach. No, I was just yeah. gonna say I think everyone enjoys that part of it. Uh, you don't, ha- yeah, you don't join a lot of scrambles, a lot of tournaments where you're required to an extent to shotgun a beer on a hole, and I think that makes it pretty fun. I think overall, just like having a lot more competitions throughout the round was like really cool. Like in years past, we've just done one longest drive and one closest to the pin. But, you know, you add on the drinking hole, you add on an additional closest to the pin that's just like two teams like within a 
within a group competing against each other. We had the Nara hole at the turn where we got uh, free milk tea from Nara, which was really sweet. So I think just overall, it felt like you always had something to look forward to kind of be outside of just like what you're doing hole by hole and your score that kept everyone engaged and, and having a good time. Dude, another thing I felt like that went really well was actually the marshals, even though they were like, there were like three marshals or something and they were just like on our ass like the whole day. But I was actually really happy for that. Cause we finished in like, like just over four hours. And I mean, especially for a tournament, I feel like that doesn't happen much anymore, but the marshals really like were actively pushing people and just it, you know, it made it not drag. So that was cool. Yeah, the starter, I thought he was so cool. He obviously got us uh, started on hole one, but then on hole five, which is that part first part three, he was just watching every approach shot. And then we would meet him, and then he's, like, at the turn again somehow. Um, and he was just there just giving us jabs, you know, throughout the day. So I thought that was a cool part of it. Uh, I think what I really liked about this tournament was just, uh, I mean, I feel like the people who participated, like, were really just into it. And, I, you know, they're just great people who were really supportive throughout the whole day, which... I'll be honest, man, we're just like hosting a tournament. We're making you pay 150 bucks to play golf on a course that's usually 100 plus maybe 20 if you ride. So I uh, just appreciate them coming out and having like a good attitude. I mean, that yeah, that's why they get the giveaways. That's why they get the hats. And you also get you pay a little bit for the competition, which makes it super fun. Uh, but I, I think to, to echo what you said, Frank, everyone seemed to have an awesome time. There's a ton of people out there I'd never met before. And they're yeah, super cool super cool people and uh i feel like everyone felt like it was a tournament that they was like worth paying for and they do it again which was awesome to hear uh i think we stayed a lot of positives um so i'll bring the first thing to consider in terms of improving for next year and uh, i think this might be a little bit contentious amongst you two but that is the handicap so this year we implemented a handicap system where we take 35% of the low handicap plus 15% of the high handicappers uh, handicap value. And uh, we add them together. In prior years, we didn't have anything. And so this year we thought it would equalize the field a little bit. Uh, and I'm just curious, Aaron, uh, you know, as someone who was at the top of the leaderboard, you know, what, how, how do you think it played out? Are you uh, purposely trying to save the results for the end? Yeah, I am saving the results. I am saving okay. the results. Well, as someone who is uh, towards the top of the leaderboard, <laughs> I feel like it played out perfectly. I mean, <laughs> it was between first, second, and third, there was like a one-stroke difference, I think. Um, so it was really close. Towards the top, that was great. I think a lot of the higher handicaps ended up towards the bottom, which was not really what we had intended so definitely like first reaction i i was thinking like maybe there's some other way that we could try don't know what that is but maybe this wasn't perfect yeah i mean definitely most of the single digit handicap teams finish towards the top half and you know just talking to people afterwards there's some teams 
and people that went out and played and had a good time. But like realistically, they're like, I have no chance of winning this tournament, you know? And so if you think about the 22 teams, there's maybe five or six that had an actual chance of winning. Uh, because yeah, when we're using a, you know, a a 35% and a 15%, that's not like someone's full handicap. So it is, is tougher for these higher handicap teams to, to go out there and, you know, shoot a really low score and, and win it, um, when they're not kind of getting the full extent of their handicap. But I mean, yeah, it raises a lot of questions. Like should, you know, a a team that has, you know, two thirty handicaps go out there and shoot 140 and win like does that feel okay does that feel right like should the better players still win the tournament i don't know yeah like i had a tournament i played in earlier this year it was like a, a rider cup style um and so i was on one team that it was like super close as people were coming in and i was towards the end um but I had to play against we like switch teams and I had to play against two people that were high handicaps and they just played like really well and they just destroyed me like on nine holes I lost like uh I forget what it was but I lost by like five holes in and like and like four no that doesn't make sense six holes in or something like that I I just got absolutely destroyed like I won maybe like one hole on each nine and it definitely didn't feel good because it like i don't know it was like i i had to make a birdie to tie the hole and so i had no chance of winning because i I couldn't just eagle every hole and when they would like make par or make birdie i'm just like what so i don't know it's like i guess what i'm saying is like high handicappers even can get hot and it's it's like yeah do is that good or should they just be a little bit closer to average so when they get hot then they're competitive and not just like destroying the whole field and i think like the idea behind what the usga is trying to do is you know in a normal tournament there's probably more higher handicap players than there are lower handicap players and all that really needs to happen is you know one of those higher handicap players if they just have like they'll have a good day and they'll win it if it's at 100 percent handicaps across the board and so they do this handicap allowance and so like we tried we did our best here like we tried to make it equitable and fair and we just did what the usga told us to do it ended up with a lot of the better players being towards the top so like from a results perspective maybe it doesn't feel right um but yeah, I'd be curious to hear your take, Frank, because, you know, you were a team that had two, like a mid-handicap and a higher handicap player and, and finished, you know, kind of middle of the pack, lower of the pack. Um, and like, did you feel it was fair? I felt I felt it was fair. I felt like we left a lot of strokes out there. We just didn't make some four-footers that would have turned that double into a bogey, that bogey into a par that could have changed the, you know, the momentum of the round for sure. Uh, I will say it, it like this is sort of a sidebar from the actual handicap system that we implemented. It was so hard getting the actual handicap for people that don't play. And we talked about this in the last episode, but my partner, I asked him how many 18 whole rounds he played and he said none. So when that happened, 
and he turns on F1, I just think, dude, this guy needed a higher <laughs> handicap because this doesn't feel right. Um, that being said, it is, um, yeah, I think that that's a hard part. But it's also, I feel like it was fair because, for example, we had a team that was, the low handicap was a three, the high handicap was a 15, and the number of strokes they got was close to three. So I felt like, okay, well, that means it's probably most of the low handicap shots, right? And so if he gets only three strokes, he's probably going to play close to par net. So in that regards, it seemed, first of all, it seemed weird that he only got three strokes, but, you know, having double checked the calculation, you know, it seemed reasonable, right? But I think how it played out was for higher handicappers, for example, if you're only taking 15% of the high, like the difference between a 10 and a 30, like you could see it, it being so different. Like it's so obvious to everyone who's the better golfer. But when you take 15% of 10 versus 15% of 30, the difference is only a couple or a few strokes over the course of a round. I'm not sure if that is enough of a separation. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I definitely hear that point and like, I feel some of it because like my partner was, we gave him a 36, right? He plays one golf round a year and that was during this tournament. And I think it is difficult for those types of teams because you get to a shot, right? Let's say you're in the middle of the fairway, you got a hundred yards in, you get two shots, but like realistically, one of those players not going to hit the green, right? So you really only have one shot and it puts so much reliance on that other player to perform. Whereas if you have kind of two, you know, better players, maybe even a mid-range player, like, okay, your best player misses the green, but like your second player probably going to hit the green from a hundred yards. So I think where, yeah, it gets weird is when you have those really, really high handicaps where we just like, don't really know how to measure them. And it kind of like feels like you're playing with one person for parts of the round, not the whole round. Cause they can definitely contribute in a lot of other areas when it comes to, you know, putting and strategy and morale and all those types of things. But, um, I hear your point there, Frank. Yeah, that I'm just trying to think of like what like if we were to make a change, would we do would we just make our own calculation like 50% of the high handicap, 50% of the low handicap or something like that? Yeah, I don't have the answer and I think you know, I'm still in favor of the USGA recommended system. You know, I think uh the winners of this tournament, they I mean, did you guys feel like they were hot? Like, did they say they were hot? I mean, I think the winners went out and earned it for sure. Like, they shot a very strong yeah. round, and, like, they made a lot of birdies. So, like, they deserved to win. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, they had the best team. So, like, the best team was best team won. Like, that, that happens a lot. <laughs> right, right. I think it is just when, like, you see the scoreboard and then people actually comment on it, then you you take a step back and you think, oh, okay, well, I mean, we, we're, we're making progress, but I don't know if this is perfect. And, uh, you know, to go against what the USGA recommends, it's it's just like, yeah, like I'm not sure if we have a better answer. Yeah. I, okay. Man, can we, can we say the results? <laughs> all right. All right. Let's just, let's <laughs> okay. just do it. Yeah. All right. So uh, with, 
who let's start off with third the third is actually uh zach and evan somehow uh and i say somehow because zach came in and he's just like not feeling it um you know one good player one higher handicap player uh and so that i think your net handicap was still single digits though right so we, you would be considered a good team we got we got eight eight strokes uh i'm a six and a half evan was a 36 yeah we shot one under gross and then got to nine under uh with the net handicap which i mean coming in we thought we'd be close but didn't quite feel like enough but yeah i mean a, a decent result uh in second place was a team uh with scott and Irwin. uh they shot how would they shoot they shot nine under no uh they were 10 under net 10 under sorry net yeah 10 under net and then in first place the back-to-back champions the team of collusion (laughs) tim hogarty and aaron tan uh with the what 11 under yeah we shot eight under gross and uh net 11 under because we got three strokes so ended up winning by one yeah, and uh, I don't have it in front of me, but Scott and Irwin, uh, they were considered a single-digit low handicap yeah, team. Yeah, Nice. I I mean, the reason I wanted to bring that up is that, like, going back to the conversation we were having before, I feel like even though, like, we won, I, I didn't feel like we were getting, like, too many strokes or i don't know i didn't feel like it was too unfair because we did shoot eight under i i don't know i but i guess anyways my point was like even though we won i do feel like i kind of wish that the lower handicap teams that were closer to the bottom felt like they were more in it i just don't know if like the price to pay by giving them more is that there would be a team that just goes bonkers and like destroys the field because they get like 20 strokes or something. So, and and that's like likely to happen if you go to like full handicaps, because there's like one Aaron team, right? There's one really good team. And then everyone else is like on the higher end and it's bound to happen that one of those teams gets hot. And so it's like more likely that Aaron loses if we go to full handicaps, which is the point behind these, allowances by the usga but like when you're not but i can i feel it from both sides and it's like it's frustrating when you are a team that has two higher handicaps and you're just like ah, i just you know don't feel like i'm in this but the usga is trying (laughs) and i feel like we're trying with like the way that we presented it but yeah the way it turned out um a lot of the better players were towards the top. Yeah, I wonder if there's some other balance, like I said, of like, you know, 50%, 50% or something. Maybe we should do some more research or something. But like, yeah, I I definitely, you know, won last year, won this year. Potentially, there should be more of a handicap because I guess the point was like we were trying to, we were trying to even it out more, but then the same team won from last year when we didn't use handicaps to this year when we did. So maybe we didn't make a big enough change. I mean, I think you also just played really well. Like, honestly, I'm sure everyone felt like they left a lot of strokes out there, but like one hole could have made the difference. And, you know, me and Evan could have been right there at 11. Yeah. I would say 
yeah, I would say Aaron. Like, I think your team deserved it. Going eight under is pretty insane. But for example, Zach, Zach could probably shoot a seventy-five at Karika just by himself. So, and then contri- contributing four strokes over the course of eighteen holes is right. Like, I'm not sure if that is like him going crazy under. But I feel like you and Tim going eight under is pretty insane. Um, that is true. Like we were talking about last year, even though we won, you know, we shot a three under and we felt like we left a lot of strokes out there today. We felt like we left like one or two out there, but then we made up for it with like sinking like 40 foot bombs and stuff like that. So by the end we were like, we can't say we left any out there cause we got a bunch too. So I guess, yeah, that's fair. And I think for the higher handicappers, yes, it's totally possible that, for a higher handicap team that it's a lot easier to shoot from 100 to 80 than it is from 80 to 60 obviously right but for just for some whatever reason it doesn't play out like that when the teams are two high handicap players so i i don't know why but it's just i'm i wonder right i wonder if there's a difference between a net handicap team that's you know, rated at 10 and one of the player is a low handicap and one of the players a really high handicap versus two players that are just high handy or mid handicap. You know, I wonder if there's a difference in that. Yeah. It's so it's hard because like, it's not a, a science really. Like it's, you can't really predict what's going to happen. I don't know. Cause like I was thinking about the fact that we played from the white tees and how, even though it was like, okay, everyone played from the white tees, but it really was an advantage for better players, which means it would really be an advantage for teams with like two better players. Like my team, like on par fives, we had like mid irons into the green on our second shot. And it just, I know that, you know, even a team of like high handicappers that was getting, say they were getting 15 strokes or something. It doesn't matter because you're not, gonna hit your drive you know right in the middle of the fairway and then have a mid iron in it's gonna be like a lot more of a struggle to get there yeah there's no perfect science for sure and it's so strange because i feel like whenever we play together and we compare compare the net strokes it's always pretty close relatively a few you know a few strokes here and there but for whatever reason in the team format it's there's just a lot more disparity well that's because we're when we play against each other we have the full handicap we're not taking an, an allowance well the allowance the official allowance is 95 percent, right which is basically the full thing yeah that's what i'm saying is like when we the three of us play against each other it's always pretty close because we're taking into account a full handicap percentage but the tournament is 35 and 15 so it's like it makes sense that would be pretty different right what I'm saying it what I'm saying is this team allowance is supposed to put two teams that are at different levels closer together in competition, right? That's the same idea between two individuals playing against each other. And that's why the individual allowance is ninety five percent and that's why the team allowance is uh thirty five and fifteen percent. So it's strange to me that this allowance works when competing on an individual level but not on a team level. Are you saying that it should be Right. Okay. No, that that makes more sense. I I hear you, I heard you differently this time. Um, yeah. I mean, like both are recommendations by the USGA on like how you should implement a handicap for different formats. And so you'd imagine that 
it would be like consistent results across the board. But yeah, based on our one data point, which is obviously not a lot of data points, like it didn't seem to work. But bigger problem is Aaron should not have, be the only team with two single digit handicaps. All the other <laughs> single digit handicaps have high handicap players. <laughs> yeah, maybe different, that different is game. the problem. <laughs> no, but I mean, eight under is incredible. Um, and yeah, you should be proud of that round. But like, we, yeah, we need a... We need someone to take down Aaron's team next year. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah, and it just like doesn't feel good that like that is the goal. I'm one of the hosts, and then I'm winning this thing every year. But at the same time, you know, like someone else just needs to step up. Like I, like going back to the question that I asked you, Frank, on last week's pod, like would you miss a three foot putt so that you didn't win? And I realized that I would not. Like, I was feeling, you know, so competitive out there. There was no thought about, oh, I'm the host. It was like, we need to make it, make this birdie putt. We need to make this birdie putt. Like, is this enough? Like, do we need to get to 10 under? Like, we were just so competitive out there. So, yeah. I think we just need to also um, invite a lot better players. Uh, and, like, it's not that we're excluding better players, but, I mean, I feel like it's a question for us, like, the way that we've, branded this tournament is it's available for everyone and i still think that should be the case but also we just like we play a lot more golf than most of the people that we invited so like we're automatically at a bit of an advantage because you know we just golf a ton so i think there is a little bit of an expectation that we're going to do better because <laughs> we're like better golfers and yeah as we saw the handicaps didn't quite get us there to even in the playing field but I think, uh, yeah, everyone is out to get your team next year, so that should be that should be fun. Got another year to get a whole year better. All right, so next year, what venues are we uh, trying to look at? I mean, are we trying to move this anywhere else but the Bay? I mean, some people are saying we should do this multiple times a year. Man, I would love to do it multiple times a year. It it was definitely a lot of work and a lot of effort, especially if we're going to do like all the merch and everything like we did. And if we keep wanted, if we want to keep leveling up, like it, it would be a lot, but I mean, at the same time, a year feels like so long to wait for the next one. Like I would love to be able to do one, another one in the spring. And it seems like everyone would be down. Like that was the feedback that I was hearing. Oh, yeah. One feedback that someone said was there was actually a tie for third, and then they wanted to see a put off. But then it's like. It's in the rules. We already said it in the rules, and that means we would have to have people who started in the early a.m. to wait the whole day uh, to you know, settle a tiebreaker, which is, you know, some people just had had to leave. So I wonder if we could do like a like if both teams were there we could have had a putt off or a chip off or something like that but like if not then we just go to that default to that scorecard tiebreaker because yeah i agree like that would have been fun like I, none of us thought of it before but i think that's a good idea yeah i mean that's an argument to do a shotgun tournament yeah because then everyone yeah. does finish at the same time oh my gosh oh geez if you know a, of a place i'll let you do a shotgun tournament we should keep that place I wonder, forever like, man I've done a lot of shotgun tournaments, so I don't know like what the percentages of courses that do or don't like. Do most people not allow it? I don't know, but 
like i feel like if we have enough people we could find a course that would allow it i think i don't know yeah yeah uh actually i do know a place i would do it but it requires 64 people so i mean it's maybe next year yeah i mean we have definitely doable yeah was doable yeah any uh, last thoughts on the tournament just yeah i mean thank you to everyone who showed up and and played in the tournament shout out to our sponsors uh we had some really good ones with pin golf nara milk tea uh t genie calicraft brewing company am i forgetting any did you say pin yeah pin travis matthew <laughs> travis matthew. travis matthew yeah 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 yeah, same thing. I think like just overall, like whatever handicap winners, losers. I think overall it was just a really fun day. With it, it just felt like we got more people involved, and we felt like we had more support from just other partners and everything. And I don't know, it felt like such a just like a lot of good vibes between a lot of people and companies. So really sick yeah yeah thanks again everyone for you know helping us out and thank you to our listeners for uh sticking with us through this episode uh we hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week 